Before we begin the episode, both Jake and Dylan would like to pay our condolences to the Gilbert family with the passing of Nick Gilbert. Nick suffered from neurofibromatosis, which is a rare genetic condition that causes the growth of non-cancerous tumors. He was the heart and soul of the Cavalier family for many years, so we keep his family in our prayers. Episode 2 of Mistake by the Take, Jake and Dylan discuss Cavs offseason. What are some of the areas of concerns moving forward? Who should the Cavs move off of? The coaching situation and a fun end of this or that Cavs offseason edition. You'll hear it all right here on this episode of Mistake by the Take. One, two, The second episode of Mistake by the Take, Jake Volnick alongside Dylan Feltovich. Today, attacking a little bit of Cavs offseason. You know, the things, season's over, you know, knocked out of the first round of the playoffs by the Knicks. Definitely some things to address. I know Dylan, you and I have talked about it, but not going to be a, not going to be an easy segment to necessarily dive into. But before we do, how are we doing today? I, I'm doing all right. Um Final finals week, <laughs> just trying to get through it, you know. But um, yeah, crazy crazy weekend. Uh, <laughs> we're just we're getting through the days basically. But no, I mean this is the highlight, you know. Just talking sports and being able to get on the mic is it's nothing else better in this world. This is where the fun comes in, you know. You spend all week doing what you have to do, and then on a random, you know, Tuesday that we're recording this on May 9th, we're gonna have some fun. Talk right. little Cavs off season. Exactly. So I think the main thing to jump into here, at least to start things off, is going to have to be look at what the Cavs are losing, right? So first off, I'll explain bird rights. Anybody who doesn't know, basically, if the team has bird rights to you, they can offer you more money than any other team in free agency can. Something I basically had to look up to. I mean, I've seen it there before, but... I had no clue either, right? I had to ask you. Yeah, it's so intricate. I mean, there's so many different things that go into it, but basically, you know... That's the gist of it. You don't if you want to go look at it more, do that on your own. I don't understand it all. That's basically the basis of what I know. But players who know bird rights, so they're basically unrestricted, completely free agents. You have Robin Lopez, who basically was sitting, I would say, on the end of the bench, but he sat himself on the floor the entire season. Uh Danny Green, as well as Raul Neto. Um a couple of guys you do have bird rights to. Unrestricted free agent that you have bird rights to, Karis LeVert. That's going to be a main topic of discussion here. Lamar Stevens, also with a club option there. If they option him, it'd be about a little under $2 million. And Dylan Windler, restricted free agent. Guys struggle to get on the court. And then a couple of two-way players, uh, Isaiah Mobley and Mamadi Diakite. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those are the guys that the Cavs are missing out on. It's nobody major at the end of the day, I don't think. I think if you look at this, it's kind of a good thing to look at because aside from Karis LeVert, no major contributors. Right. That's what I was thinking, too, when I was looking over this. It's like it, because one of the things with free agency is you're going to lose – you could lose potentially like a big part of your roster. And you're, we're going to see that this year with a lot of teams. So it's good to know that at least – I mean, the like you said, the biggest name that we're going to probably talk about right now is Karis LeVert. Um, that will definitely be a free agent. But the thing is, I think going forward, we're going to have to talk about guys, too, where, okay, we're going to have to make important decisions on are you going to be on the roster next year, just period, because they can be, but I don't know if they will be, because with the salary cap, 
I know teams manipulated and stuff like that, but I, I think that in order to get it kind of these pieces that we were missing during the playoffs run, you're going to have to make some of those hard decisions, and, and we're going to talk about it. But, yeah, no, the main one being Karis LeVert, that, that's going to definitely help the team out a lot this year. Yeah, it'll be – and diving into Karis, I mean, it's been a roller coaster with him. We We've been watching it all year long. I mean – there's times where he looks like the best player on the floor and you couldn't think of yourself going without him, and then other times where you sit there and watch and he couldn't knock down a shot, he looks like he's lost on the court. I mean, he is the definition of like a streaky player, hot and cold. It's all in or all nothing for him. Right, and and I think that's the thing. Like I Because I'm a huge Karis LeVert fan, um, before he came here, you know, like with Brooklyn and the Pacers, um, I was a huge fan. Uh, I thought he was very underrated and loved the guy, especially too dealing with a lot of the off court issues and like I believe it was cancer, right, or leukemia he dealt yeah, with. Yeah, I believe it was something. But it, it's it, it's an inspiring story too to see that kind of stuff as well. But um, from from perspective, that that small forward position as a whole, I think is going to be something that is going to be a main topic with just in general like Cavs free agency because the, the problem is right now is you don't really know who's that starting guy right now and you need that kind of I guess I don't I don't like saying this but alpha dog that steps into that role and completely takes over because it's that two-way battle between Levert and, and Okoro where it's just like who's going to step up and actually become that starter the full time and I feel like you know you drafted Okoro hasn't really lived up to that potential, but I mean, it, overall, you're going to have to eventually address that. And and again, I think there's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with that because I mean, again, I like Harris Levert, but he's just very streaky and he's not taking over that starting small forward role. Yeah, and. Clarity on the the cancer thing we were talking about. It was renal cell carcinoma in his kidney. Yeah, completely got rid of it. You know, obviously he's made his return to the NBA with the Cavs. But again, inspiring story. But you were talking about kind of how you know whether or not who's going to step into that role, and it's such a weird scenario with these two guys because they give you basically polar opposites. I mean, Karis Levert is an offensive threat at any time, as we were saying. He could go for forty, but defensively. I don't want to call him bad defensively. I don't think he's terrible. He's a player that plays with a lot of hustle, a lot of heart. But, you know, it's kind of like take it or leave it defense from him. And Okoro, I mean, personal opinion, you're getting one of the best on-ball defenders in the league. It's just when he's on the other side of the court, you know, you're getting maybe six points a night tops. Right, and and that's the thing. You can't. It's just like, why can't we have both? You know, and it's very hard to have both in the league. But um, I think if, especially too with Okoro, like people thought, like okay, if if he comes in, it's not bad because he's not going to have to score anything like that because you have Donovan Mitchell and you have Darius Garland and you have all these guys. So it's just like okay, well he could take the back seat on offense. But, like, you kind of see where it's just, like, those guys got really streaky, and then you're kind of looking at it like, okay, what's our third option on outside the perimeter? Because, obviously, you got guys down low that can do damage. But it, it's like you kind of do want that offensive piece in it. And I think I it's just going to be 
it, it's it's going to be a tough conversation to have of like, okay, what are you going to do then at that point? Because I mean, you can't have I, I, moving forward. I don't think you're going to be able to have both, especially with what Karis Levert is going to be asking for in free agency. It's it's a good amount. I mean. Yeah, you're probably looking at like seventeen and a half million dollars a year. That's yeah, which, generally the area that you're looking at right now. Which I mean, like I don't know if we're going to be able to give that to him. Yeah, it's. I took a look at the Cavs cap space. I think right now, without pushing the luxury tax, you're looking right around thirty million on the year for the one year for next year. But yeah, I mean, you got other pieces to sign as well. This isn't just you know you can't just give it all to Karis and. I don't know. It's a tough decision with Gilbert, too. It seems like he'd be all in it to win and willing to push it and just to eat the luxury tax in order to put together a winning team because, again, that's something you can do in the NBA. You can just blow through the cap. Manipulate and just, the cap, yeah. yeah. You can go out at like well above it and just pay the money. But a lot of guys aren't willing to do that, whether Gilbert is or not. You know, it, it'll be a time-will-tell thing. A lot of guys, you know— Somebody locked up Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, all of them under contract, but you look, Evan Mobley's still going to need a contract here soon, too, so you imagine that's going to be close, if not a max deal. Yeah. So it's going to have to be, you know, you have to look into the future, not just the one-year scope, too. Right. No, I mean, it. It's it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle game being a GM because you have to fit certain pieces into certain spots, and I mean, think about it, like, if you think about, like, football, like, can you imagine that? Because they can't go over that. Right. So that would be, I mean, it's it's an even harder job. And, I mean, with baseball, it's pretty easy. You could just throw yes. out as much money as you can and stuff like that. But, I mean, yeah, no, it's it's going to be interesting to see how Gilbert goes about it then and addresses these needs going forward. Yeah, and let's take a look at some of the needs, honestly. And I think most of the ones that we're going to focus on, too, you see in the playoff series come up. I'm a believer in that NBA regular season, your goal should be to hit top six and nothing else. If you finish in the sixth seed, you've done your job. That's perfectly fine. I don't think you need to be the one seed. I don't think that's all that important because at the end of the day, you have to get through everybody and you just want your guys healthy for the playoffs. I think the trend we see in the NBA is that the playoffs are where everyone kind of kicks it up. You see it this year with Jimmy Butler, but that's my goal. So I want to look at really dive into where in the playoffs problems came up. And I think the biggest one we can look at is your depth for your bigs. I mean, Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are out there playing 40-ish minutes a game, which I'm fine with them logging the minutes. I think they're two of the best players on the team. But with that being said, the largest guy coming in off the bench was pretty much Jetty Offspin. I mean, he's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, you need a guy who can step in and you know give the rest for those guys without having to give up any guy that's playing over 6'8". Right. No, I mean that's that's the thing like you you had no depth whatsoever. And like <laughs> Robin Lopez, yeah. No. There was no depth and it really showed in the playoffs. Um I think that what you're going to see is well because that's the thing like we've talked about it so many times where it's just like you can't run your bigs out there for 40 minutes or to an extent of that much time. And what I think is going to be interesting is this. I do you think that would would you this is my question to you then. Do you think that you would rather have either three bigs that are like okay, like all right, Evan Mobley, 
Evan Mobley's uh, no discussion. He'll be on the team. Would you rather have three bigs that are Evan Mobley and then two average ones, or would you rather go with Jared Allen and then you kind of have like one just like eh, big off the board, it, off the off the off the bench? I mean, sorry. Yeah, it, it comes to is the guy off my bench Robin Lopez, right? Or can I count on him for 15, 20 minutes? Because I'm okay with Jared Allen. I don't think. I am too. Yeah. No, I I, right. I like Jared Allen. Trust me. But the thing is, you're paying him twenty mil a year. I and you make the point. I mean, Evan Mobley's the staple. He's the guy that's going to stay. If there's a big on the chopping block, it is Jared Allen in terms of at least between those two. But if it comes down to I have to play with Robin Lopez, then I'm gone with Jared Allen. I don't want to play with Jared Allen if it means that I literally have nobody to come and play the five or even the four at this rate off the bench. You have to have somebody. There's no excuse for not having a guy come out there and be any relief. Just look at the Knicks. I mean, you have you know, Julius Randle, basically a bona fide all-star. Mitchell Robinson, who tore the Cavs apart in the playoffs. And then off the bench, you still have Isaiah Hartenstein, who the Cavs used to have, didn't really play. And now he's logging 20 minutes, and he doesn't look too bad doing it. Right, and that's the thing where it's just like... if. Like we'd always be like, okay, yeah, we could have just just address it in the in the draft, and we'll be fine and stuff like that. Not anymore, you know. You don't even. I mean, we don't have the pick, right? No, no. So I mean, like, you don't even. It, it's not even going to be like a late round or anything like that. Like, you don't even have a pick to do it. So it, you look at it, and you're just kind of thinking, like, okay, they did it once with Mobley, and they they drafted him. Great pick. I loved it. They, that's what they needed. It was great. But the thing is, now it's just like. You need more depth, and I think you know you can have all these pieces of like you know the star players and stuff like that. Because I think Jared Allen is he's he's a star. I'll there's no doubt about it. He's I a, mean he was an all star right. just a year ago. Right. So, but at some point you got to be like, all right, he can't play this long. He's not a guard where they they can you know push 30, 40 minutes potentially a night because they're just built to do that so it's like at this position you it, it's shown that you need to have some type of depth and I think there's a couple of guys that we're eventually going to get to later in the in the episode where I think that could fill in that role um and there's different ways that I think that they could do it too because it's not necessarily like okay they have to get the x amount of bigs and stuff like that they could go a little bit smaller and then move a couple of guys to different positions. I wouldn't mind seeing Mobley transition into a five role either because I think he can do it. Absolutely, yeah. But, I mean, it, I think there's different ways that they could go about this. I think the main thing is playoff-wise, when the two bigs are out there, it's a force that's you know can't be reckoned with when it's Mobley and Allen. I mean, scoring around the rim is pretty much impossible. But you saw it the whole playoffs, both of those guys on the court at the same time, I mean, it was almost non-existent. They were pretty much playing opposite of each other. And then when they were on the floor, because we talked about how many minutes they're playing, they're pretty much gassed. Yeah. And let me be clear, this is not an excuse for the Jared Allen rebounding situation. 13 rebounds in the final three games of the round one series against the Knicks. You're, you're seven feet, seven foot one. Inexcusable. That's, you have to, that's you have to box out your guy. You have to grab boards. End of the day. That's what you're getting paid to do is like you're a big man, like you're – you have to get rebounds. That's your number one concern with all of it. The worst thing, Mitchell Robinson was sitting there. I mean, he's ripping down, you know, 15, 18. Like, 
And a lot of them offensive. That was the biggest issue, second-chance opportunities. And they were just thrown away. If Yeah, I, I think that if you can get depth out of it and you could sign two bigs, I wouldn't mind moving off of Jared Allen. And I know that's a topic of discussion for a lot of this offseason. I know people have brought it up in the in Cleveland media. And, I mean, I thought about it. I'm like, at, at first glance, I'm like, I mean, I don't – like, why would you want to do that? That makes no sense and stuff like that. But then, like, I, I, I look at, like, the cap and just kind of all the other pieces, and I'm like – it's not the worst thing to be able to do that, especially some of the guys that are on the market this year. I I wouldn't be afraid to do that. Yeah, I don't think I would be either. It'd be tough. You'd have to be able to guarantee that you solidify yourself two guys right. you're willing to go with. And then on top of that, I think the even bigger issue is unloading Jared Allen. Yeah. The money. Who's going to take it? That's exactly. It's a, it's a big contract for a guy where you look at and you're like, what am I really getting out of him? that he's going to eat that much of my cap space. Everyone, I think, looks at him and sees a really good player, but under the contract he's now on, you kind of... It's a you lot. Know, yeah, you tilt your head a little bit. You're like, uh, is yeah. that where we want to go? And I think it'd be really tough to unload him and get something back that you're okay with. Right. But that pretty much... I mean, yeah, big's going to be an issue. There's definitely other areas of concern on this team. I think you can look to the guard position... And I'm going to talk about defensive guards. And I'm not talking about a starting guard. Garland, Mitchell, bona fide in their position. They're being paid. They're not going anywhere. But off the bench, I think it's going to be important to get a guy who can lock up a one. And we saw it in the playoffs. Jalen Brunson torched us. End of story. Literally had the Cavs eaten alive. And you just looked to your bench and who's going to guard him? You got to put it. You know, Okoro or any defensive wing on somebody like, you have to look at Randall. R.J. Barrett was playing really well that series. And then Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland on Brunson. You probably go to Mitchell. I think he's a stronger defender, but he's not good. I mean, you got him for offense. It's what he's there for. And I think if you're going to have two really good offensive guards who are basically liabilities on defense, when it comes to your backup guard, you have to have a guy who can slot in and kind of lock down the one or the two. Right, and and by all means, this is not a guy that is going to be a starter. Like you're spot on with that one. It, we're I'm I'm not looking for a guy that would come in and try to take over a position or anything like that because we, I mean, we got that's that's our key right there. Like we have the one and two. We're fine on that part. But the thing is, like, yeah, like you said, like it, you don't have anyone that can play defense, and it, again, it showed so much in the playoffs. And Jalen Brunson just torched our guards, and and you don't want to have to take Okoro and try to put him onto a guard or anything like that. There's other because there's small forwards that can be just as dominant in this league as well. So transitioning from that doesn't make any sense. And by the way, I think Okoro could guard the one or two. I don't think that's an issue for him. But you just, just don't want him to. Right. You want him to be able to take over, you know, the three guarding, or maybe you have two really good guards. Right. You want him on somebody like that, too. I think having one guy on your entire starting lineup or, you know, basically roster, you know, defensively right now, you look at Isaac Okoro and Lamar Stevens, and aside from Biggs, that's pretty much where you close the book. Right. No, and so that's the thing where it's just like you, you kind of need a guy where it's just, again, a depth piece off the bench 
that could be able to provide some type of defense for you guys. And I, I think there's a couple of guys out there, definitely in free agency, that you could go after. Um, I, I think that, like, you kind of saw it with, I mean, a little bit with Lamar Stevens, where it's like, okay, he can play some defense and stuff like that, but, like, he, he, you don't want him. He's not going to be that guy moving forward to be that defensive piece that can play off the bench. You know, great story, love it too, but he's not going to be that guy that you need. So I but I think that this is going to be something that they, they in all honesty, I think that's probably going to be one of my top needs. It I don't I know it's not I I think the big's problem is is an issue as well, but like I mean, it just goes to show you this league can be guard dominant at points. And I think if you aren't going to address that first and try to at least because it's not a hard thing to address either because these guys are not going to be expensive either. It's going to be a depth guy. I'm assuming max you're going to have to pay is ten mil at most. Even then, like yeah, I don't I mean, even, even think even a that's... guy's going to come even close to that. Yeah, that's pushing but it's it for just sure. like if you you it's one thing where it's just like you have to do it. You you. If you if you're walking away from this and you didn't address it, it's gonna be really upsetting because it was such a glaring need. But I mean, it, other than that, I mean, yeah, the, you, you got to do it. You got to get someone in there because it showed. It really showed. I mean, look at the end of games. I remember. I can't remember off the top of my head. I believe it was game one, where end of the game scenario, you had had Garland on Brunson, you had had Mitchell on Brunson. To no avail. Last possession comes down. You need to stop. Jalen Brunson, ball in his hands. Who's guarding him? Jetty Osman. I mean, another guy who I think he plays hard, but he's just not good defensively. You can't change that with guys. You either are or you aren't. It's something that's really hard to teach once you're at the top of this level. I think for the most part, guys come in, they're either good defensively or they're not. Right. And he's just one of the guys who, you know, like I said, he'll play hard. But defensively, it's just, you know, that's all you're getting out of him. Right. No, and that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't even mind, like, because we've seen this, like, pattern where it's just, like, it's either Garland's hot or it's Mitchell's hot. So, like, late in the game, you could really just – it doesn't hurt to say, like, you could just be like, all right, well, we're going to put said guard out there that can play defense, and then whoever's the hot hand that day, all right, you're going to go out there and play. Whether it's Garland – okay, Garland's – has 30 on the night go ahead you're out there Mitchell you're on the bench which is it's hard because you're like you don't want to put those star players on the bench when you are in crunch time because you're paying them to be out there during crunch time but if you can't play the defense in order to stop it and you are not lighting it up and you only have like nine points on the night how do you expect to be out there in crunch time then it makes absolutely no sense in my opinion that you should be on the bench I get it you're getting paid a lot of money for it Completely fine. But the thing is, if you're not going to provide in that time, I'm going to take that defensive guard and be able to defend whoever is lighting us up, a.k.a. Jalen Brunson. Yeah, and, I mean, talk about the fact, even when you trade offensive-defensive possessions, late in games, you know, you got a couple timeouts or you're playing the free-throw game, you see that swap in. You go for the guard that you need defensively, you'll pull out one of the guys that's just, you know, either in foul trouble or doesn't really provide anything on the defensive end of the floor. And you just swap them out. You know, bucket goes through, you call a timeout, or, you know, whatever you have to do within the next set of free throws, you sub them in and out again. 
You just get them on the floor for what they're strong at. And right now, that's not even an option. It's right. literally not an option for them. You basically have to, if you're going to take out Garland or Mitchell, you're basically putting Okoro at the one or the two. Yeah. As a defensive need. And people, what people forget, too, we had this back in the day. You, you, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah, the Curry stopper himself. We had Matthew Delvadova, and he's the guy that can actually go over and stop these guys. And it's just like, I, I, I don't know, like... We had it before, so I I don't I think eventually it, it just goes to show you that we will be able to address it. But it's just like I mean I'm not saying that we should go out there and sign Matthew Delvadova, obviously. Which by the way he is a free agent this year. Does not make the list later in the episode, so not afraid to mention him. Right, but I mean it just goes to show you that like we we've done it before, so it and it doesn't hurt because like what we had Kyrie. When and I mean, weren't they both on the floor at the same time? I can't even think back. To uh, there like, were times where they were. I know for the finals run, that was the year where Kyrie and Kevin Love both go down. Yeah, right. So Delhi was obviously out there starting. That, yeah, it, but I was just. I mean, even like in the regular season sense of like, where do they go? Kind of, and how do they maneuver that stuff? But yeah, no. I mean, it's just like it. It. it I think it will be addressed. I'm not too scared about it, but it is probably one of my top priorities of like. It's really not that hard to address, so you got to go and do it. Yeah, I fully agree. There's guys out there, plenty of them, who strong defenders, not going to cost you a lot of money. And again, not asking the guy to start, be you know, a viable piece for 30 minutes a game. Right. It's not what you're asking. Uh, final, I think, major area of concern when you look, aside from just basic depth, you're looking at a wing that can shoot the ball. I mean, you come back to Karis Levert, Again, there were times where he looked good, times where he didn't. I'm talking about a labeled 3 and D guy. Somebody who can go out there and just shoot the lights off. Like Danny Green was your guy this year. Not 3 and D, but he was your 3 guy towards the end of the year. Unfortunately, he's like 40 years old and he can't right. move on the floor. I'm talking I want a younger guy who just goes out there and can shoot the lights out at any point. He's a guy that you can sit in the corner and if they're going to, you know, give him an inch of space, he's chucking. Right. We'll have guys on this list again later in the episode that fit that mold, but you're going to have – I think you just look at your team and at times you're like, who are you giving the ball to shoot deep? It's Garland or Mitchell again. Right. Well, and that's the thing too where it's just like that's where the small forward concerns are where it's just like it, Levert, not really like that. I mean, yeah, he can score, but the thing is it's like if he can if – he, if he's on that day or not, you know. And, and also I think – the big thing with him that's going to differentiate from the guys we're talking about, he, can, he can't shoot the three that well, in my opinion. It's it's here or there, I think. Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily good. Also, not much of a catch and shoot guy. Right. I think he's a guy that dominates with the ball in his hands. That's not the what I I want a catch and shoot guy that can sit in the corner. Okoro tried to be it this year. He, he's just not that he, type of guy. He's a defensive, like he's a defensive forward. That's all you can really. I think it's a work in progress with him. I think he's gotten better, a little bit more reliable as the season went on, but yeah, as of right now, it's not the guy who I trust to go out there and sit in the corner and he's shooting one between one and four a game and you're hoping he makes, you know, one of two or two of three, something like that. I want a guy who by the end of the game might have seven or eight. Right. And that's the thing, like I'm okay if you let Levert go, you bring in a small forward that can play that three and D type of thing and be that third option, like we talked about earlier, because we don't really have that 
on a team because it's either and like the thing is like yeah okay Mitchell and Garland you got both of them one two option but like it's not like one of them either has a hot hand and that's the thing you kind of need someone that could be consistent and just be able to knock down that three you're you're definitely correct and the thing is like I'd totally be okay if Okoro just went to the bench and was that depth piece because it doesn't mean you don't have to force anything else out of him. He's going to just be kind of – he doesn't have to log that many minutes, but, like, it, it does help having a guy coming off the bench and playing defense too. And it get, it, it just gives the lineup a lot more freedom. So I, I think that the, we're going to talk about some guys too where I, I would like to step into that role. But, I mean, yeah, it, it you need that third option and a guy at that small forward position that could shoot because, I mean – it never hurts like you've seen with the Warriors. Like those guys can shoot, no matter what position they're playing, they can shoot. And I think that you only really have two guys that can score outside of the paint, in my opinion. Because obviously, I don't, I don't think Mobley or Allen are guys that are going to be lighting it up from the field or anything like that. They no, do talk about from inside. So. Yeah, if Mobley could develop a little bit of a mid range shot. The right. danger he could get, or I mean, you saw him pull a little from the corner this year. But again, like I'm fully on board with you, though. Not a guy right. who I'm counting on reliably as an outside scorer. Right. But I'm just saying, imagine. I think he's really young oh to the point where he could. But yeah, that would be insane. But yeah, no, I mean, it, it. That's definitely another need where it's just like I. I think they should be targeting a starting caliber guy out of that one because I mean, other than I, there's no one. I, I just don't trust Lavert. Or Kuro to be that starter. Yeah, I'm. I think I'm there with you. And that was my problem again. You start Levert down the stretch in the playoffs, but you kind of lose the defensive aspect of the game. There, yeah. You you're letting guys go out there and put up you know sixty and a half. And I mean that's kind of where the NBA is at today. But you weren't doing it on the other end. There's your other main issue. Even if you were playing defense, you couldn't hit a shot to save your life in the playoffs. Whatever the reason for that was, just. You know, guys were off, but that can't happen. I mean, you can't be off for a whole series in the playoffs or else you're sitting right where we are talking about, you know, your off-season needs while the NBA playoffs still continue. So it's, I think I agree. I think I want a guy who can step into the starting role, and I think that's whether or not they decide to re-sign Karras. Yeah. I would still like a guy who could step in, step into that role. Again, comes down more to money concerns probably than anything when you talk about that because... Probably not getting a starting guy for less than ten million dollars, and probably right. more than that. But so at that point, I would probably just let Karis walk, in my opinion, because it's like if you can get a guy that is a starter, you don't want to have to pay Levert seventeen and a half mil, and then just for him to be a bench piece or anything like that. In right. my opinion, You're, you'd basically be asking him to go out, and he would have to, at that price, in my opinion, be. Six man of the year finalist. Which, I mean, it's great, but like, I don't, I just don't see a, because I feel like if you're going to command that money, you're going to probably try to command at least a starting role, in my opinion. And I just don't think that that's the direction that we should be heading in. Yeah. And I think when you're talking about getting these guys their money and these depth pieces, you look at, again, an area I think we just struggled flat out this year was depth, just in general. There weren't guys coming off the bench that I was like, yes, that's the guy, you know. When you go to the playoffs, seven, eight-man rotation, 
I love seeing that guy off the bench. Right. I just didn't have those guys. No, you didn't. Like at all. Like right. I don't feel comfortable with my seven man rotation, including Jetty Osman. Unfortunately, he's just too inconsistent. Yeah. I'd like to see a little bit more staple guys, and I think that's where it comes back and bites you because when your top two players aren't on, who do you turn to again? Nobody. There's there was There's nobody no there. There's no scoring factor or anything like that because, like, he, he, it, because if one's off, then you don't have your second, and you need someone to step into that second role. And it, it it also helps to take a lot of attention off the guards as well too because if you can have three guys that can just shoot, it helps so much and it helps the flow of the offense and everything just gets elevated in that sense. And I. It's just you don't really have a – again, you don't have that third option, and you're going to probably most likely look for it at the small forward spot. Yeah. It, we'll see what they do. Again, Karis LeVert played really well in the playoffs. I think he was possibly our best player, if not at least the most consistent throughout that series. But, you know, off season's coming up here in about a month or two, I believe, so – I think Karis Levert finally realized that he is in his contract year and he probably should like pick it up or something like that and yes. show that he needs the that he's worth the money. But yeah, I mean he, he was he was good in the playoffs, I'll give him that, but the consistency in the regular season was just not there in my opinion. Yeah. We're gonna go into some of these guys on the roster who you know, you have to ask the question, should we move on? But before we do we don't even have it down in our notes. I meant to have it there. Forgot to. I think one of the main issues everyone's looking at right now, J.B. Bickerstaff. That series, I mean, your guys looked like they weren't playing for you at all. I mean, it was just no hustle coming out of a team that historically was, you know, pretty much pedal the metal the full way, willing to put their bodies on the line. Just didn't seem that way in the playoffs. Kobe Altman went ahead and said that he feels that J.B. Bickerstaff's job is secure. He's not going anywhere. I mean, what are your opinions on... Because I'm torn on it, personally. I like to see JB. I liked what he's done with the team. But now that he's gotten his team where he needs to be, kind of, in a way, he's gotten the big pieces, he's looked good in the regular season, they're back, now you need to get over the playoff hump. You need to be able to perform when it counts. <laughs> it's it, JB Bickerstaff's kind of like Moses, where it's just like he can lead him to the promised land, but he like cannot get in. Um I'm torn with it too. Uh, I think that to address the the discussion of the guys weren't playing hard, you I don't know how much to blame a coach is for that. I think to some extent, yes, but I think that it ultimately comes down to the players itself. And I don't like assuming as a player myself, I don't like it when people say like, oh, it doesn't like, he did. It looks like he's just not playing with heart. Like you don't know, like you don't know what the hell's going on. In my opinion, like it, yeah. it's not taking a shot at you or anything no, no, like no. that. I'm saying just in like media in general, it's just like really like you, you don't know. Okay, if there's an injury, if he's exhausted, if there's anything like that, because I've been in that spot before. I've been in that role when I run down to first base and someone says, "Oh, it looks like he's not trying." No, it's because I'm in, I'm in pain, dude. I just had 50 games and stuff like that. Like you don't understand. And I think that it, it, we don't. The overarching theme of that is we just don't know the true story behind it. And 
we probably will never figure out the true story of what kind of happened. It may look like they weren't trying, but I don't I don't think any guy is saying like, you know what, screw this. I'm going to just play like shit today. I don't care about this or anything like that. All of them want to be in the championship. But I just don't know if it's really J.B. Bickerstaff's fault. I mean, yeah, you could think of like, okay, like can you kick him in the butt to like get him going a little bit? But, I mean, other than that, I I think he's a good enough coach right now because like the thing is then if you're going to talk about like getting rid of him, okay, what are you going to do to replace him? Who are you going to bring in? And that's the thing where it's just like if you're not going to get a guy that's a home run pick and you know that he is going to be a home run and you can get him for sure, then you can't let this guy go because then you're you're risking getting a worse coach. And I think that you're going to have to play that game of scales where it's just like, can we do this? Can we afford to lose him? Because if, again, like if you miss on the next coach, you're screwed because then you're going to just go down this spiral again of like, okay, well, we can't find a coach or anything like that and we're lost and la-da-da-da-da and and then it just it becomes a bad look again. So I think that if you can for sure get another guy in there that's going to be a home run pickup, like, yeah, go ahead, do it. But at this point, it's just like, do, can we, like, will we be able to get a guy like that? So I'm like, I, I don't really mind JB in the spot right now. Yeah, I, I think I'm in a similar spot. You have to have a guy who's better. But when it comes to having players play hard, and I'm fully with you on that, you don't know what a guy's going through. There are external factors where it comes to, you know, is a guy you know not feeling that good physically that day, mentally that day. But at the end of the day, yes, I think those guys want to be in the championship, and I don't think they're going out there and saying, oh, you know, like you said, screw it, I'm not going to play hard today. Right. That's not the case. But there is something to be said about coaches that can get guys to play at an extremely high level, high motor all the time. Those are players' coaches, guys who players want to play for. And throughout the season, I thought that was Bickerstaff. That's what I saw all year long. But when the playoffs kicked in, you started to lose that. And was the guys you know, possibly being tired? They were playing a lot of minutes in the playoffs. It's not a spot they've really been in all too much, I think. I mean, there are guys who have been there a couple times now. Donovan Mitchell especially, that's a guy you need to be high motor that whole time. He knows the intensity has been there. But a lot of these other guys, it's their you know, second year being in there. It's not a spot they're normal, like used to. But, again, there's something to be said about coaches – that get the best out of their guys at almost all times. And that was not what we saw in the playoffs. Is that all on Bickerstaff? I don't know. Like you said, we probably won't ever know. That's an internal issue that's going to be front office of the Cavs within the team. They'll probably know more of it than we will, and it won't be public media. But, again, you have to – I mean, you have to eventually put the blame somewhere, right? Right. You can't just – let guys go out there and do basically nothing and be like, oh, you know, maybe they just were tired that day. No, at some point you have to, you know, push through being tired and be better. Right. You just have to play harder and be able to push through the hardest times. I mean, I know guys are struggling out there, but you have to be able to get the most out of your guys and push through it at the end of the day. Right. No, I mean, and I'm the same way. Like, I was growing up on the mentality of, like, as long as you're as long as you're capable to walk, you better be on that field. Like, I just, that's how I've been raised. I mean, that's how my sister and I both played the game of she played soccer, I played baseball kind of thing. And it was just like, 
if you you got to give it your 200% effort, not even just your 100% effort. You got to find something deeper in you to give it that extra 100% in life. And that's the thing like yeah, you got to you got to worry about that. But then my question becomes this, like what are what would what is your expectation then for JB Bickerstaff and like going forward? Like what what do you expect from him and this team? I this team this year was a first round you need to beat the Knicks. Yeah. That it was the step up from where you were. I think any Cavs fans happy if you beat the Knicks, you go out and you lose to I mean what would have been the Bucks had the series gone the way you thought, ends up being the Heat. Maybe your expectations change when you're going up against what would now be the eight seed. I think you ask for a little bit more at least to play that series close, if not win it. But at the very least you had to win a series. And I think next year I don't want to put too high of expectations on it, but you have to at least win a playoff series. Yeah, You have to win one. There's no exception away from that. You have to at least win one, and I think at the very least be competitive at the next level. I think you're coming up on, you know, none of the guys you have, this is the problem. They never get any younger, right? Their contracts begin to expire, or you have to pay more guys. You have to, you know, find a way to work it. And you see it, teams at their height, are at their height when they can get their guys playing for the least amount of money. That's just the way the business is. Because you get guys playing above their expected value on their contract. And you're starting to lose guys who are going to play above that level right now. Evan Mobley, one of those guys who's playing well above what you're paying him, and that's about to run out. So I think right now, yeah, you have to win a playoff series and at least be competitive at the next round, if not win it. Well, and it, I think it's frustrating too because I agree. You expectation first things first. Expectations I think are based off of what's going to happen in the off season. If you go out there and you make a couple of home run signings and different things and stuff like that, then yeah, the expectations are going to start to get a little bit higher and higher. Right, and for the point, I mean, you asked me at this time last year, my expectation changes when you sign Donovan Mitchell. Right, no, it, that's exactly it, to the point. It should be, it, and that's the thing. But it's it's also frustrating when your expectations get kind of set back again because it's just like, okay, our expectation this year was to win that playoff season. A series. I was, I agree with you. Same boat. But the thing is, now it's just like, okay, we're talking about it again where it's like, okay, we expect to win a playoff series again. It's just like, well, what what happened? Like, we should have been able to win it already. So the thing is, now it's, you kind of are like, you look at it and just like, it's it's frustrating. So then I'm like, I look at it, I'm like thinking about it. I go, am I, it's frustrating. It's so frustrating because now are you going to be able to, should you set your expectations a little bit higher of like win a playoff series and then make a deep run? Right, because you have to ask yourself, when do you take the next step? That's, I think, the main thing we're getting at here. When does that step up come? You can't say for the next three years, I just want to win a playoff series. At that point, scrap the team, right? Right. Because you got to win a championship at some point if you're putting together a roster like the one you want to construct right now. Yeah. Your goal is to win it all. Obviously, I don't think we were there this year, but what year are you then? I mean, if it's not within the next couple... You start looking around and going, you know, something's wrong. Right. And every year, my thing is, every year you should be taking a step forward. And when you're staying stagnant and like, okay, great, we made it to the playoffs, cool. 
it doesn't mean anything anymore because like I guess and people people could say like oh well you know they they got past the playing game and stuff like that but that wasn't the expectation the expectation was like yeah they got they didn't have to do the playing game they didn't have to play in it this year but the thing is now it's just like you you had to have win one and I think like and this is no shot to the Knicks but this was an easy team to do it against and you had the you had the full capability of beating them too and you just didn't and you you had a just an all-around team failure so I think that the expectations moving forward is you do have to make you have to win that first series and then it's going to have to be a deeper run because it's not just like okay, well next year we'll just try to do the same thing again. Like no, you got to keep moving forward. Because if you make the correct acquisitions this year in free agency, then there's definitely no ifs, ands, or buts about how you have to be you you have to be able to compete and go a little bit further. Yeah, and I think if you stop setting those higher expectations. And this isn't an example of the expectations not being set, but instead not being met. You look at a team like the Sixers. They're constantly, you know, Joel Embiid's there. They're adding pieces. They have James Harden now. You're looking, you know, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey. A roster I think is really good, but you look at them, I, they haven't made a final with the guys on their team. Right. So it's like, what are we doing here? You're stuck in just this downworld downward spiral effect of like okay can we like your your head spinning forward? Yeah. like where do, do, do I go yeah and that's not a spot you want to be in again not a knock to like Sixers fans cuz the expectations there the fans want to win the front office wants to win the players want to win it's just they can't get over the hump and they've changed multiple things within there they've changed out stars they get rid of Ben Simmons get James Harden changed out coaches now with Doc Rivers Nothing seems to get him past that, and that is not a situation I want to be in. Well, and so and but it, it's a hard situation. Obviously, you know, if we had the answers, you'd go out and make them. Right. I mean, but that's just as a fan, I can't stand to watch that. I refuse to be okay with being in a Sixers position the way they've been the last X amount of years. Well, and that's the thing too. It's not like because I, I think some fans could get too big with their expectations. Absolutely. I, I, I but this is not like we're because it would be too big if we were out there saying like oh we expect to win the title like yeah. no I understand that we are probably not going to beat a team like the Bucks right now obviously they've been eliminated but I'm just saying like it's just like it like it's not right now where we're at and I understand that as a fan but there's other fans out there just that just don't understand that and I think that you're going to have to kind of look at it as a thing of like bring it in bring it back into a perspective. And it's just it's frustrating because then like you can't let those people try to affect anything because like it it, it's, it, it is a process, you know, trust the process as I know we talked about the Sixers and stuff with that. But like the process has to keep going too and that's the thing like you can't set too high expectations but you can't set too low of expectations because you're going to be either stuck in mediocrity or you're just going to be shooting for the stars when you and disappointed every year right when you have no vision whatsoever a true vision whatsoever yeah 
and it comes down again. J.B. Bickerstaff supposedly not on the hot seat. Kobe Altman, you know, pretty much said his job secure at the moment. So, but I think his his contract year or so to speak contract year is the year where he really has to prove himself is this upcoming year. It starts right now in free agency. Hey, enjoying this edition of Mistake by the Take? Never miss an episode by hitting the follow button on the podcast and by dropping a follow on our social medias. That's at Mistake by the Take on Instagram and at MBTTPod on Twitter. Again, at Mistake by the Take on Instagram and at MBTTPod on Twitter. Thanks a lot. And now, back to the show. Which means we'll move on to some of the guys currently on the roster. Only one of these guys we're going to name is going to be a current free agent, and it's going to start with Karis LeVert. But basically, we're asking the question, should the Cavs move on? And this isn't a question of should the Cavs move on and have no replacement for them. It's a question of given the contract that they're on, given the situation that they're in, is it time to let go of this player and look in a different direction? And we'll start it off. Easiest guy to look at right now, Karis LeVert. He's gone. He's gone, in my opinion. Because the thing is, I, I it, there's guys out there that can replace him that would be more effective for this lineup. And I think that there are teams, though, that could use a Karis LeVert, but I don't know if it's the Cavs that could use Karis LeVert. Um, I, I mean, if you can get him for cheap, yeah, bring him back. But the thing is, like, I'm okay with rolling out with a Coro and having him be on the bench and then bringing another guy to be a solidified starter. Because if you haven't proven all this year that you could take over that starting role over Okoro, there's a lot of problems with that. So I think that if you can just have a depth piece of Okoro and then find a starter in free agency, then he's got to go. I think I'm in the same boat again. If you can bring him down... Maybe even into like a twelve to fourteen million range. Even then, I feel like that's way too much. Like I would not want to pay fourteen mil for him to be on the bench. In it, my opinion, in my I just I don't know. I I think it comes down to if for the money that you're to pay him, you can get a guy that's going to start and maybe another rotational piece, then you're okay with it. it. This team values Levert a lot, and I think he is what you're asking for—a guy that can score when it's not Mitchell, when it's not Garland. But it needs to be there consistently. And right now, it hasn't been over the stretch that we've seen. But he's also, I mean, he's not crazy old or anything. It's not no. like he's a guy that's, you know, fringe end of his career or anything like that. He's 28. Still, yeah, he's, I mean, pretty much, I'd consider that a guy's prime. Yeah. Right around it, maybe mm-hmm. tail end of it. Yeah. At worst. And I, I think there's improvement that can be made with him, but again, it depends on what you're replacing it with if you get rid of him. If you're going to go out there and only get one guy for slightly less money who's going to put up similar numbers, I'd almost rather have the guy that's been here. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I agree in that sense, but I think that it's more of if if we're going to go out, if you go out there and you you take a big swing at a guy, then this is the one spot where you're going to have to really spend most of your money on in my opinion because if you look at the other needs it's more of depth and stuff like that but again you're looking for a starting role caliber player out here yeah it's like i said i think i agree with you at the end of it 
if you can get somebody who's going to put up similar to more value for the same amount and then allow you to sign somebody else who is going to contribute at some point on this team and can make a playoff contribution, even if it's in limited minutes, again, like a defensive guard, if you can bring that guy in with what's left of the money and even play him for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, I think it's worth it. Next guy, we kind of talked on it already. Just run back over it maybe a little bit. Jared Allen. He's locked up. He's $20 million a year through the 25-26 season. And again, we kind of hit on it. If it's, it's basically the situation I think of if you can bring in two guys who aren't going to put up Jared Allen numbers but can provide a larger depth and still be effective for that same amount of money. Again, the 20 mil, If you even if you can go like to 25 with those two guys and be effective with it. It's 5 mil and for two price of one. Yeah, that's right. – and at the end of the day, it's not as easy as a lot of these guys just like dump it and move on that right. we're going to talk about because – 20 mil is not going to be easy to unload from your roster in the form of Jared Allen. Plus, I don't know, because I'm a guy who right now is not very happy with the way Jared Allen played. But also, you look at the last two years, he's been really good. Yeah, he, It's not like he's played bad for this team. So there is a little bit of recency bias, even for myself, not afraid to say that. That last series leaves a bad taste in your mouth about Jared Allen. So I don't think the team's going to go ahead and get rid of him. I don't think that's in... You know, their head really, I think they kind of want to keep him. But again, if you can go out and get those two guys, I think it's worth it. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I think that you're going to have to keep them. Um, yeah. I, because I, I think the likelihood of A, being able to dump that 20 mil, it's very low. And then B, just finding those two guys that can actually play those types of roles. It's like kind of the same thing with like JB, where it's just like you're going to, you're, you have a solidified guy that's been a starter for you for all this time, and he's done really well for you. But then you're going to go out there and take a swing, and you could potentially strike out. Um, so, I mean, I, I would ultimately probably keep him. But the thing is, like, the, there's there's a chance, though, that you could still go out there and sign a center that could come off the bench and could honestly be a starter on any other team. Um, I, I would... There's options, I think, for that. Um, I know we're going to probably get into that a little later, but um, yeah, I mean, it, ultimately speaking, like you're you're going to probably just keep them. Yeah, there's definitely a couple of guys we'll have later that I uh, have my eye on to fill in a spot like yep. that. Mm-hmm. Um, next guy I want to look at Isaac Okoro, and this comes back to it's nine million dollars. He's on his last year of the contract. I don't know how I feel about it. Definitely less than you've expected out of him, given where he was picked. And the experiment, it comes down to, do you think it's over? Has it failed? And now you possibly look at unloading him at some point this season to still get value out of him without just letting him walk. I say you probably keep him um, based on the fact of, I feel like he's a solid guy off the bench. And he can play. He can give you value when he's coming off the bench. But if you're going to force him into that starting role, I think that's where we start to see some problems. Where it's just like, I don't think he's a starting caliber guy, and that's where the expectations start to shift a little bit because we expected him to come in here and be that starting guy and take over for the small forward position. And, and over time, we've realized that it's probably not going to happen. 
So I think that if you go and you kind of lower your expectations a little bit, realize that, okay, coming off the bench, he's not a bad player per se. And he provides a lot of defense, especially what we lack from just a team as a as a whole at this point. So I, I would probably just keep him until the contract's up. Worst case scenario, you just don't re-sign him, let him walk. I don't know how much value you can truly get from two. I think that's the other part where it's just like, you know, if you could get like, you know, something big out of it and the team's stupid for overpaying and stuff like that, then yeah, go ahead. But overall, I mean, I'd, I'd just keep him at that point. I think that's where it comes down to, too. What can you get back for him? And I think it depends what you do in the offseason here as well. Again, little early on this conversation, moves aren't able to be made yet, so it's all right. speculation. But if you're able to go out and get a guy off the bench who's going to give you, you know, the off the bench scoring that you need or fill in that three, just depends. You're going to need somebody off the bench that can score at the end of the day. So if you can't get that guy in free agency, I think then you might look at what can you get for him halfway through the season, give him to a contender. They might be able to be willing to give back, you know, an extra score they have to add that extra piece of defense, and at that point, it might be worth it because you're looking to compete yourself. Yeah, it, it's, it all depends on the package itself that you can get back because, I mean, you don't want to lose something that is at least a solid piece to the lineup. Fully agree. Speaking of a name that's come up a couple times now on the show, next guy we're looking at is Jetty Osman. Interesting contract situation. He is locked up through this year, but it is non-guaranteed. It's not guaranteed until the end of June to make $6.7 million, and we hit on it a couple times. He's been a little streaky here and there, and a lot of the times it's a guy I look at and just think, what on earth? I'm okay if we move off of him, truthfully. I mean, he's not a guy where he's going to have such an impact on the team. Granted, he is a culture guy. I know the city of Cleveland has really rallied around this guy. Um, and it's great and stuff like that, but I look at it more as a sense of like cap where it's just like if you could save money in any aspect and you could bring in a guy that could be better, that can that you could pay just as much as, then I'd totally go for it. Um, especially, too, if it's not guaranteed, I'm not afraid to let him just let him go at this point because I, I don't – I just don't really – I mean, he's, there's nothing special about the guy or anything like that. He doesn't have this elite quality coming off the bench where it's just like, even like with, with Okoro, it's just like he's got great defense, which I'm okay with if he's coming off the bench then. But it's just like, I mean, he's just a household name right now, and I think you're just going to eventually have to bite the bullet and just say, listen, it's it's not going to work out anymore. Yeah, and his main like, you know, ability that you would say off the bench right now would be, oh, He's a good shooter, but most of the times I look, he's really not. Right. I feel like every time I see him in the clutch, it's not going in. And it's just, and what are you getting out of him? Because, again, I said it earlier, I don't think he's a guy that I want in like a seven to eight man rotation in the playoffs. You know, he's a guy that maybe you're looking for down the stretch for a shot. That's the kind of guy you put in. But again, those aren't the shots going in. Right. It's it's a concern. I think if you can free up $7 million and put it to better use just by letting him just cut ties with him by June, I'm all for it. Yeah. I think there's better guys out there that you can go and get who are going to want to play for a team like the Cavs right now. And again, you it's a household, it's a culture name, but at one point, do you like just look at him and be like, what is he actually bringing? At the end of the day, like, sure, people in Cleveland like him, 
but he's not giving you anything more than some minutes off the bench. And half the season, not even that. Right. J.B. Bakerstaff didn't even go to him for half the season. There wasn't even that confidence. So what is the point in paying a guy $7 million if you don't actually trust him? Mobley, Garland, Donovan Mitchell slowly, and Jared Allen are starting to become these household names. I am not afraid to let a guy like Chetty Osman walk. It's, I think it's time to cut ties with Chetty. I think it's just the experiment with him, again, has failed. It hasn't been what you want it to live up to, and if he was on a cheaper deal, maybe you keep him around. But, again, $6.7 million, almost at the $7 million mark, just not living up to it right now. Right. Last guy we're going to touch on in this category is going to be Dean Wade. This is probably the most unique of the scenarios because, again, come playoff time, Dean Wade practically nowhere to be found. J.B. Biggerstaff did not trust him in the rotation. But he's locked up through 2025-2026 season, making around $6 million a year. Again, I... Like, what is he there for? Nothing. And why is he signed through 2026? What is the idea through that? I, I don't understand the logic with that. I'd totally let him go. I mean, there's no... He's not again like you fans like him and stuff like that, and I get it. It, but like it's. I mean, you point, say fans like him. Almost everybody I talk to at this rate, especially down this playoff stretch, just looks at him. And go, the guy can't shoot. Well, and if he can't shoot, then you know he's not an overly large guy in the paint that's going to be ripping down boards over you know seven footers. So it's like sure he can rebound a little better, but. Again, no offensive prowess. Well, and that's the thing. Like, if you ask like not a non-die-hard Cavs fan, they're gonna look at it like, "You mean Dwayne Wade?" Yeah, like, right. I, like, like I don't. It's he's not a relevant piece. And if we're gonna talk about this depth and stuff like that, I don't like that as my depth. And if you could get guys again that are for six mil, which I looking at free agency. I could. There's so many other guys that I could see us taking that would have more of an impact on our bench than Dean Wade. Dean Wade currently 26 years of age. By the time next season rolls around, November he'll be 27. So, again, this is where you're looking at. You know, should be putting in some of his best time, and he can't even make the floor. So, right. I mean, unless they see a really developmental piece with him that we're all missing, and like there's just an area where they think he can get really better than sure. But again, it's hard to unload a guy no like one this. No sees it, yeah. Well, and that too. No one, like, who who's going to take on six mil for... I mean, it's nothing. not, at the end of the day, that much money. Again, like, there's right. guys out there making... Like, this isn't a big contract. I don't want to make this look like the Jared Allen contract. Right, but who is going to take that? Right. Like, who will say, like, in a trade, like, oh, yeah, let's take Dean Wade in this. I mean, obviously, you, you'd maybe think of, like, if it's more of, like... He's a side piece in it. Exactly. But other than that, at this point, you're not looking at anyone really on the team that you're willing to trade in a side piece. And if you are, I mean, it's the only the only guy that I could think of that could potentially like get traded, Jared Allen. But at that point, you're already taking on, what, 20 mil? So why would you add on another 6 mil for Dean Wade? And here's another place where the issues come in. You traded a lot of picks for Donovan Mitchell. You did. So if you're going out and trying to get, you know, a top guy on a non-contender, there pretty much goes all of your, you know, your leverage. Yeah. That's what those teams are going to want. They're going to want a future. And you don't have a future. And that's the piece where you would get rid of a guy like Dean Wade. You'd be like, here, we'll give you all these picks. 
take one of your star guys, but also in the process, since we're taking on a really good guy, unload some cap and get rid of a guy you know that we have locked up for a long-term deal that right. maybe we shouldn't. But not really an option at this point. So I think Dean Wade stays, but I don't think it's by full choice. No. I think it's just, you know, he's going to be there because you signed him. And again, dumb contract. Yeah, I sit there and I wonder why. Yeah. Why Why would you sign him to that? It just mm-hmm. didn't make sense to me. But that pretty much all the guys we want to talk about that are currently on the Cavs. Last thing we have, a little game that we're going to like to play here. I think we're looking to make it a staple going forward on our Wednesday shows that will be yeah. releasing. Fridays look to be the draft that we did back in episode one. Wednesdays are going to be a segment we call This or That. You're going to be presented with one, two, you know, sometimes in some scenarios we have one here where there's three options, possibly more. We're going to throw it out on the table, discuss it a little bit, and we're going to try to come to a consensus on which one we'd rather have. First one on the board, this or that. This is not the most pressing one by any means, but we're just going to start with it. The Cavs kind of missing a little bit of that edge factor, a guy who's willing to go out there, pack the punch. So this or that, Patrick Beverly. Or Dylan Brooks. Dude, I saw you put this in the notes, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <sighs> Now, I think it's it's a little, you know, you look and you're like, oh, my God, these two guys. But also, I do think this is an area the Cavs lack. No, and then that's what I, but then that's what I thought about it. Like, I was going through it all. I'm like, well, okay, he actually does kind of make some sense in here. But um, option C, neither. But <laughs> if I did have to choose one I guess Pat Bev I don't want to pay Dylan Brooks 11 mil Um, that's that's most likely what he's commanding probably 10 mil at the low now that's it's the average that they were saying you know I looked at a couple of different sources that's where they're projecting it I don't know if that was before after the Grizzlies said there's no chance we're bringing you back because I do think a statement like that does drop your value oh it does because for sure the team that just had you who was paying you to play on your team was like, yeah, we want nothing to do with you. Yeah. So I think that does hinder your value, and I don't know if that's taken into effect here. Yeah, I I mean, both guys' character concerns. That's the number one thing that lights up for both of them. And I think that recently I just don't really care for Dylan Brooks. Um, I'm right there with you. I did not. And I don't know how I feel about this because as Cavs fans, we feel the same way about Draymond Green. Right. Where it's – yeah, you know, the guy's not terrible as a player, but he goes out there and does some things where you're like, you know, what are you doing? Like, it looks like you're trying to hurt the other guy. But I feel like it's a different mentality when that guy's on your team, too. Right. Like, Warrior fans love Draymond Green. Grizzlies fans, Dylan Brooks, not quite the same love there, but I feel like for most of the season they were on board with him. Well, and I think part of it, too, is you need a kind of that star factor on your team to kind of hone him in. Um, I think like it helps that he plays that uh, Draymond plays with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson in those sense because it's kind of like all right, dude, like let's let's reel it in because they don't. It takes away from they don't have to be the main kind of guy, and I think that it was hard for the Grizzlies because John Morant being yeah, with you were, all, uh, the, all the stuff going on yeah, you, were, you were playing with the flash that glock jaw right so, so it's not like, exactly your best spot right so i'm like i mean i in this case i'm going with pat bev i mean it, he, you're not gonna sign him for a lot of money which is a good thing um but yeah i mean if 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 i could just back out of it i'd say neither 
But I, I think I'd be okay with signing Pat Bev. I yeah. think you get him for right around a million dollars. You're basically yeah. paying him nothing. You're and, not going to pay him much. No. He's going to be one-year contract probably. Right. And he also – he's not bad defensively. This no. is a guy who – time up and time down, he's frustrating to play against at the very least. Whether or not – you know, some people say it's all a front, that he's not actually that good defensively, but – Numbers kind of speak for themselves. He has locked some guys down. Well, and that's the thing too. And what are we missing? We're missing that depth piece on depth. I can't speak today. Depth piece, depth piece <laughs> off the bench that can play defense, and he could definitely do that. And you know what? You do sometimes need that enforcing factor. Yeah. And he would definitely be that guy off the bench. Yeah, not afraid at all to be that guy. And again, I feel like that's something that you kind of miss. You need a guy who. You know, you're down a lot or in a you know, the team just doesn't feel the moment. He's a guy that's gonna go out there and, you know, whether it's trying to hype you up in the huddle or going out and making a play that riles everybody up, he's a guy that adds that edge factor. That. Yep. Next one we'll look at it's gonna be a little bit more to address a shooting concern because you're not getting that out of Pat Bev, but it's gonna be Dante DiVincenzo, currently with the Warriors, or Max Struess, currently a Heat. I'm going to go Dante DiVincenzo on this one. Um, I think that with DiVincenzo, he provides the shooting aspect a little bit. I don't think you get to see it that much with him being on the Warriors. I think it's it's kind of hard to when you have like 15 shooters on that team with Steph, Clay, Jordan Poole, all these guys just can absolutely shoot at lights out. Um but I think DiVincenzo is a guy where it's just like you're not going to pay him that much. So it's, he's gonna, he's going to be a bench piece. He's going to play defense. He can be that 3 and D guy that where it's just like I would trust him putting putting like a, if we had him in the playoffs, put him against Jalen Brunson in that sense. So I, I would probably go DiVincenzo just because I think the defensive factor plays a little bit more into it. Um, Max Struess is also a solid player as well, but I think DiVincenzo gets gets the one up for me on this one. Yeah, and by the way, shot nearly 40% from three this year. Really good piece outside. And a guy that's only, he's commanding a little bit more money than it appears for Max Struess, probably looking closer to $5 million for DiVincenzo. Yeah. And, but know, I'm okay with giving up a little bit more for a guy that can do multiple things, shoot a little bit, and then play defense because that's exactly what we need out of a guy off the bench. That's my exact point, too. I'm willing to overpay a guy like DiVincenzo. Yeah. I'm willing to offer, you know, probably upwards 8 to $10 million for a guy that can do that because DiVincenzo also, by the way, saying that 6'4, I mean, a small three, but I think you're okay playing him there. Yeah. With If you go Garland. Mitchell DiVincenzo, a guy that can play defense, you're all right with it. Yeah. And he stretches the floor. I mean, he can shoot. So, again, probably more of a shooting guard type, but also I think he can fill into roles, and I think it addresses a big team need, just gets it out of the way. Gets you, you don't even have to think about it. So then you would you would take DiVincenzo then in that case? I would also okay. take DiVincenzo. Yeah. Also this year, played 26 minutes a game in 72 games appeared for the Warriors. Yeah. So a guy who went out there, played a good chunk. He has... Not really seen the floor as much in previous roles. Only 25 games the year before with the Kings. And then you look at the 21-22 season, 17 with the Bucks. I mean, some issues there to be a little concerned about, but I think overall this was a really good bounce back year for him and a year where you're going to see him get paid. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you on that one. Next one we're going to look at, going to address more of, I think, the defensive need overall, but also a guy who 
can kind of shoot your 3 and D more type from the wing position. Looking at Kelly Oubre or Harrison Barnes. Dude, this one was a really tough one for me. I don't know about you. In, like, in the middle of this, I'm looking at it and I'm trying to like compare stats and stuff like that. And originally, I had Harrison Barnes, but, I mean, I might have to go with Kelly Oubre on this one. I'm against you. Really? Harrison Barnes, I feel like Harrison Barnes, by the way, has been in the league for as long as I can remember. The guy's, he's going to be 31 this year. He's really not that old. Right. Like, he's getting up there. He's, you know, tail end of the career at this point. But this is a guy who's been playing since... Well, top of my head, tw- yeah, 2012, Dude, I 2013. Know. I'm just, I, I'm like torn. This one's a really good one. I, because I'm like, originally I was just like, all right, Harrison Barnes. But then like I'm looking at it, I'm like, you know, Kelly Rubre, he averaged 20 this year. Yeah. And like he had five rebounds, only one assist, obviously. But like, I mean, the potential's there. I mean, I do, a little biased, I do like my Kansas players, but I just, I don't know. Like, I will say I think it should be taken with a grain of salt, the 20 that he scored. He was a Charlotte Hornet. Right. Now, no, and the so ball's not, not going much. around too much there. He's right. not going to put that up probably if he were to sign on a team like the Cavs. But but at least it shows there. that he's it's there and that he could be an option too. And it's not like – because that's the thing. Like I, I want a guy – I think I'm going to prioritize a little bit more of the scoring aspect from – the small forward spot, especially if Lavert goes, and then like a, and like we have a curl off the bench. But I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm torn in this one. I think I'm I'm gonna stick with Kelly Oubre. Um, again, I I get that he was a Charlotte Hornet, a little bit younger. Um, he's a the only thing that I'm gonna have a weird. This is gonna be kind of a weird concern. He is a little bit smaller, six six. Not completely small for a small forward, but like with Harrison Barnes, he is six eight. So, but I I feel like it doesn't hurt to go with this option just because again it's I, I value the scoring aspect a little bit more, and I think he's a better scorer because he has proven that even in the scenarios where there's not that many scores, he can step up and be a scorer on that team. Keep saying score. <laughs> <laughs> score, score, yeah. yeah. No. But I'm, I'm going to let us agree to disagree on this one yeah. because I think you get more out of a guy who shoots, you know, pretty much 40% from three in Harrison Barnes and also a guy who's been there, done that, worked on really high-level teams. He's a king this year, which, by the way, I'd honestly be shocked if the Kings let him walk. Yeah. He is demanding probably close to $20 million even in his age 31 season. But... Before that, a maverick, I mean, sort of a rough patch in his career there. It wasn't all that much success. But he was also on the Warriors through 2016-2017. Right. He's Which been is, a, it, it does have a little bit of an impact, and that's why I kind of like DiVincenzo in the sense of, like, he, he has that background of being on a competitive team with a winning culture. Yeah, it's, I think especially for a guy, I think DiVincenzo a little bit younger. You still gain a lot from that playoff experience. But Harrison Barnes has been... In the thick of it, a starter in a playoff team who has won a championship. And that's something you were missing this year. Your veteran leadership was Danny Green, who wasn't really on the floor, and Robin Lopez, who literally wasn't on the floor. Yeah. And that's, I mean, you, either way, I mean, like, you can't go wrong with that. I think either or would be solid. But, 
Yeah, man. I don't know. That's a, that was a really good one. I didn't even like because like instantly I kind of thought of it as like all right, just Harrison Barnes, and then I kind of like looked at it like right now, and I'm like, man, like I, I kind of maybe Kelly Oubre in this sense, but yeah. Oh, good should one. be also said, you know, some money discrepancy there too. Yeah. Barnes would be it's twenty a million bit cheaper if you go with Oubre. That's yeah. the other thing. Oubre would probably be somewhere more in the twelve and a half range. So. Yeah, I'd assume probably worst case fifteen. Yeah, in my opinion. I don't think he's going to cost nearly as much as Barnes, but you never know. You know, sometimes right. those guys to go play on a competitive team all willing it takes to take is, the cut. But. Well, and all it takes is one team to overpay. Yeah. Because, I mean, shoot, you see it in, you saw it in football, Christian Kirk getting all that money. Like, really? Yeah. But, yeah, no, I mean, we'll see what happens in that sense. Yeah, those, I think, a tough scenario for them to go out and get. That would be one where you pretty much have to – Throw out your uh, your luxury tax. You're going to blow through it if you sign yeah. one of those guys. No, I agree. But especially I think, Barnes. But I think that's a thing where it's just like I wouldn't be a like you got to do it kind of thing. Yeah, I, I'm all for blowing through it, but you know it is Dan Gilbert's money it is, and not yeah. my money. Yeah. So it's a good point. Um, and we'll close out. Not close out. Actually, we have a couple more after this. But another one we have Grant Williams or Jakob Bertel. I'd probably go Jakob Bertel on this one. Um. I think that, like, when we were talking about, like, the center role, I think this is your guy. This is a guy where it's just, like, he could come off the bench. He was, I mean, he did put up a lot of minutes for Toronto this year. As well for the Spurs before that, too. Yes, and I think that you could, I mean, like, this this is, like, one of my, because I, I have a wish list of guys that I want. He's on it, and he's number one. Because I, like it would make it make perfect sense. He can score. It's and like he's he's a guy where it's just like he could be a, because like that's the thing. Like if you could get like a guy where it's just like he could be a starter, but he's off your bench. It's huge, big time for your team, especially like when you're playing the bench game and stuff. And the money that he's gonna probably command, he's probably gonna be looking in the ten mil range. So I would, and Grant Williams, I, I like him, don't get me wrong, but I just don't think he's that starting caliber kind of guy where it's just like he could be just like on any other team, he could be a starter kind of thing. And I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I think that if, because I think they're going to be around the same for value-wise for money, but at that that one, I'm going Pirtle on that one. Yeah, I think Pirtle might command a little bit more have him listed at ten million. I think even you know he probably stretches that a little bit. You could see him getting paid upwards, probably like twelve. Yeah, twelve to even fifteen. I mean, even he's, fifteen. Yeah, I yeah. He's a guy that. who's put up a lot of production for the oh, teams yeah. that he's been on, for sure. Especially defensively as well. But I would, I mean, I'd love to have him on this team. It's oh yeah. I don't know if it's like a a push above the step where we need to be for another big, because again, you say he probably is a starter on a lot of teams, but. If you can go out and get him and play him off the bench, I mean... That's huge. Yeah, talk about a guy that you can basically play in, like, six-man minutes as a big. And you're not, you know, overstressing any of your bigs and minutes at that point. So, and basically not dropping any production. I think, Mm -hmm. again, that would be an incredible trio of big men to have on your roster. But I'm right there with you. I'm going to go Pirtle as well. Here comes the trifecta that we were talking about. Three options on this one. And these are going to decrease in the value of money... But again, I think they also drop off production-wise where they've been. Karis LeVert, so bringing him back, re-signing him, getting Josh Hart, who was playing for the Knicks at the end of the season, or Cameron Johnson, 
who goes out and finishes his year as a Brooklyn Net. So this one might be a little bit unconventional. I'm going to go with Cam Johnson on this one. Um, I think because in this role, in my mind when I view this one, I'm looking at it as, okay, we whiffed on some of the big name small forwards and we didn't address that. So now we're looking at kind of a second-tier guy. So in like production-wise, I see a lot of guys that they're kind of in the same boat. Like, I mean, there's not like, you know, one's just sticking out. I truthfully think that Josh Hart is out of the question for me. I think it's more of a battle between Karis LeVert and Cam Johnson. And if I can pay Cam Johnson, what, like eight, nine mil potentially, I mean, the most the most I could see him getting is probably like, what, 12 maybe? Like if a team really pushes for it, what do you think? Yeah, that's probably, I would say somewhere around there. He has flashed really good potential. That's what I'm saying. He's flashed some good potential. He's a guy where it's just like he could potentially, he could start, you know? And, and that's the thing where it's just like, I'd rather save 5 mil. And, I mean, if Karis LeVert's going to demand like 18 mil, shoot, I'd rather just pay a guy a lot less for basically the same production that has been flashing a lot of potential. And they're about the same age, too, I think. All three of these guys, basically 28. 28. Yeah, Yeah. Cam Johnson currently 27. 27, yeah. And actually just turned 27. Right. I'd go with Cam Johnson in this this case. I think I'm right there with you. I think for the drop of money, I think if that's where you can actually get him, again, I basically looked around. This is where Internet kind of was saying that they were going to be paid around. I don't have the full insight on you know what the right. contract looks like. And again, you never know if a team's going to overpay again. Exactly. I think this is one where if you can sign him for that, it's a no-brainer. Right. The guy shooting 45% from three last season. I mean, a small drop-off when he went to the Nets. But in the 17 games he played with the Suns, 45%, dropped to 37% with 25 games with the Nets. I mean, it's still, you're closing in above 40% from three. And the year before, shot above 40% again. And he's saying that 6'8", I mean, he's shown the ability to take over games when given the opportunity. There were times this year with the Suns where basically all their stars were out, and who did they turn to? It was Cam Johnson. I don't know. This is a guy who I'm really high on, and if you can go out and get him, it's. I think this is a home run. No, I agree. I'm in the same boat as you did. So I'm on the opposite end of you, though. I think my second option there would be Josh Hart. I think if you can go out and get Josh Hart, I'd be better off with that for slightly less money than I would be with Karis LeVert. I think the production is just not there with Josh Hart, in my opinion. And I mean, it could be mainly because he's on a team where, you know, Jalen Brunson, R.J. Barrett, and Julius Randle are putting up all the numbers. But I don't know. I'd rather just, at that point, like you said earlier, like LeVert knows the system. You know, he, he's been here. He's had some flashes of that, especially in the playoff run. So I wouldn't be mad if they just brought him back in that sense then yeah i mean yeah i could see it i don't know i think i'd still rather have heart even knowing the system for lavert it you save a little money and you still get a guy who i think lavert or excuse me heart still inconsistent like harris but i don't think he's going to be a starter though and lavert could still potentially be a uh, starter I don't That's know. Just Hart, me, yeah, I mean, he's he's a bit of a smaller guy. He stands at six four. He's the smallest out of this bunch for sure. Right. So, again, we talked about it. A little tough to play the three. Same scenario as Divincenzo. 
but you'd have to run out a small lineup and then with the two bigs at the top. I don't think it's impossible, but not definitely, ideal. yeah, not the scenario you were looking for for your ideal three. He could be valuable off the bench for yeah. you, though. Sort of that six-man role almost. Right. All right, final one we're going to look at. This is going to be the close out the show. This one, way more in the fun category than anything. This is uh, definitely an interesting one. But starting off with Robin Lopez bringing back veteran you know, presence that he has, getting paid $3 million a year. Or a half-eaten bag of Lay's potato chips. I value it right around $0.25. Cents. It is currently 12.41. I have yet to have lunch. I am taking the half <laughs> the half eaten bag of Lay's potato chips. Not even my favorite, but I am starving right now. <laughs> All I can think of is food. So yes, we are going with the Lay's potato chips. Half eaten as well. Yeah, half eaten bag. This thing is you, open. You gotta, Somebody's you, hands you have been guess. in them, all right? And I'm right there with there. you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I ate right before we started recording this, basically. I Right before I drove down, had a little bit of food. I'm still taking the potato yeah, chips. I'm still taking it. I still want them. Robin Lopez, I mean, as much as I love that awkward hook shot, he doesn't provide anything. I mean, for, you're going to pay the guy $3 million to literally sit on the floor. Not in the area of play, but he doesn't sit on the bench. He sits on the floor. And, well, and the thing is with him, it's like he's not even like this guy where it's just like the whole city of Cleveland like rallies around him or anything like that. So it's no. just like, like why are you? Yeah, I think I think they enjoy him, but it's not a guy where when like, he's gone this year, they're like, oh, you know, it's like. It's not like he's going to get that Cavs post where yeah, like, no. thanks for your time. Like, no, he's he ain't getting no. that. So. It's like, all right, you know. We enjoyed you sitting on the floor for a year, but you're it's done. Time to yeah. <laughs> you're gone. <laughs> yeah, but that pretty much uh, that wraps it up for this episode of Mistake by the Take. Do have another episode that should be dropping on Friday as well. That one, we're going to take a little bit more of a look into the Guardians, kind of a not quite, but almost quarter season check-in, see where they're at, address some of their needs, and go from there. Dude, we hit, think about it, we got the Browns first. And we got the calves, and now we got the guards. That pretty good planning by us, in my opinion. But yeah, yeah. you know, get on the uh, good by the seat of our pants flying that we were doing there, just kind of right. winging it. And then going forward, it's going to be more, um, you know, kind of what's happening now. Yeah, I think these episodes, you know, being the first ones, the draft was right there, couldn't pass on it. Right, calf season pretty much just ended. Great opportunity to look at what they can do, and then guards are probably going to be, I would say, probably more of the focus here unless you know big news coming up and stuff like that but guards will probably be the heavier focus here and then when things start shaking up you know stuff's going to start happening mini camps with the browns right going to start free agency is going to open here in a couple months with the Cavs, and it'll all get shaken back up right and i think too what we're we've talked about is we're going to try to get some interview going because we do know a lot of people in the cleveland area with these sports teams um especially to being uh, students from John Carroll University. It, it helps a lot with a lot of the connections. Um, we're, we're definitely going to have a couple of people come on. But, yeah, no, I think – and then also, too, I mean, this or that, the topics will change every week based on kind of – I'm assuming like what we talk about that episode yeah. as well. But I think that it provides a, kind of a fun aspect to it towards the end, um, relating it as well to the topic as well. But, yeah, so look forward to – this or that on Wednesday, and then on Fridays will be the draft, and we'll go from there. Yeah. More episodes to come, but that pretty much wraps it up for Episode 2 of Mistake by the Take.